tree planted by the water, we never will run dry. So living water flowing through, God be thirst for more of you. Fill our hearts and flood our souls with one Continue to worship our God together. Just die for 
Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain, beyond the horizon, with mercy for today. Faithful you have been, faithful you will be. You pledge yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. You father the orphan, your kindness makes you shoulder our weakness, and your strength becomes our own. You're making me like you, clothing me in light, bringing beauty from ashes. For you will have your bride, free of all their guilt, rid of all their shame. join our hearts and our voices with all creation as we sing your praises. We worship you, God. Speak into our hearts, Lord. Help us to be ready to hear from you. Make us ready, Lord, and show us Christ. Amen. Amen. 
One of the joys we have of uh, being a, a church family is uh, welcoming new folks into the membership of the church. And we have the privilege to do that again this morning. We had two that joined at first service and uh, Bali and Elizabeth here this, this one. They have uh, gone through a membership class. They have, you know, we've talked uh, a lot and uh, they, they have decided that uh, in a sense they want to be all in with us as a, as a church. And we're excited about that, with them and for them. So let me just ask you a few questions to just sort of get to the core of uh, membership. Do you affirm faith in Jesus Christ and a desire for Christ to continue to shape you into his image? If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm the core doctrines of historic Christianity and pledge yourselves to the unity of Christ and the diverse group of believers who are the Houghton Wesleyan Church? If so, answer, I do. Do you recognize your obligation to God and to the church to participate in the life of the church, to contribute to the support of the church, to serve the church by using your gifts and abilities as the church fulfills its mission in the world? If so, answer, I do. I do. One of our uh, elders, uh, David Brubaker, is uh, going to take a moment and uh, introduce 
uh, Volly and Elizabeth to you, just to give you a little chance to know a little bit more about who they are. Well, it's my privilege this morning to, uh, to introduce you to Volly and Elizabeth Chalbano and their, their children, Anna Grace and Zoe Faith. Um, I've had the privilege of having a, a, just a bit of a conversation with them over the course of this weekend, and I hope that you will as well get a chance to introduce yourselves to them and, and hear more about their story. Um, but they've been, they've been attending Houghton Wesleyan Church for about a year and a half now after having moved uh, to the area three or four years ago. Uh, Vali grew up in Moldova um, uh, in a Christian home. His father was a, a pastor, is a pastor uh, in a Baptist church. He came to the U.S. Uh, for college, attended Kent State University in Ohio, and then, I believe, then moved to Atlanta where he was working when uh, he connected with, uh, with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, as, uh, as some of you may know, um, uh, grew up in Houghton. Uh, she's the oldest daughter of David and Nancy Jo Pullen. Uh, she went away to, to college, uh, and then after graduating, spent some time in Colorado uh, doing a, a campus ministry, and then some time teaching English in Turkey several years there before moving back then uh, to the States, uh, and was in Buffalo when, when the two of them met and uh, uh, pursued a relationship. And so after getting married, spent a little bit of time in Atlanta and then moved here to Houghton. volley uh, has been working as the bookkeeper in David Pullen's law office. Elizabeth was connected with the academy, teaching ESL for uh, a number of years. And then as the kids have come along, has transitioned to being at home full-time as their mom. And, um, and so it's, uh, um, it's great to have them here. As they think about getting connected to the church, I understand that uh, Vali is interested in learning more about the uh, AV support that happens during worship services and may be involved in that. Uh, and Elizabeth has expressed some interest in perhaps being involved on the uh, missions committee. So we look forward to having them be a, be a part. So let me just welcome uh, you guys and Hannah and Zoe. It's great to have you among us. We look forward to uh, serving the Lord and serving each other together uh, as part of this local body. Um, thank you for, for making this commitment to be part of us. Thanks, Dave. I want to, uh, I think this is a, a mutual kind of thing that we're doing today. They're not just, uh, you know, joining us, but we're connecting with them and supporting each other. So I'm going to ask you to stand and to offer your support to them as they uh, take this step of membership. Do the people of this church welcome Bali and Elizabeth as a beloved brother and sister in Christ? Do you commit yourselves to walk with them in love through discipleship and counsel, exhortation and grace, and to join our hearts together and our lives together in patience, gentleness, and love? If so, answer, we do. Father, we thank you for the church. It is one of your amazing gifts, a place where we connect with each other, we grow together, we learn together. We are far from perfect, but this is your church. And we are excited to be a part of it. We pray that you will help Bali and Elizabeth to, to uh, so connect with you in the church. As they take this step, they will, they will sense this being a, a step of faith and, and a step of growth for them. We pray that you will bless them in their ministry and all the ways in which they connect and serve you in the church. Help us as a church body to, to support them, love them to be open to the ways that they serve and them open to the ways that we serve. And we pray for your grace upon us as a church that together we would be the people of God that you called us to be. Thank you for this great privilege. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Before we read the scripture, let me mention a couple things uh, in your bulletin. Um, you see a green insert about uh, family event night, and uh, this will take place next Wednesday, the November 2nd. Uh, this is an intergenerational event. Uh, it doesn't matter what your family looks like. Uh, we want, would love you to be here if you're a college student, academy student, if you uh, live in the area year-round. We'd love to have you come. We're going to do this event. will be focused on packing boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And uh, we obviously, as, a, as individuals, we have donated boxes, but we also do some as a church as well. And this is an opportunity to do that. So uh, we are going to put together these boxes. 
and we would love to have you join. It's time of connecting, maybe meeting some new people, and helping out in this important ministry. Also, uh, our prayer vigil starts next Sunday. This is the eighth of our three-week 24-7 prayer vigil that we have done. We've seen some amazing things happen, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Um, It's uh, an opportunity to step back from life for an hour or more uh, to engage in prayer. What I discovered eight years ago as as we pondered what it looks like to be in the prayer vigil is that prayer is so much more than what we typically think. Most of us think when we say, let's pray, we bow our heads and we're quiet. But the prayer room gives us an opportunity to experience that way of praying and all kinds of other ways of praying. Some people go down and sing songs the whole time and Others walk, and we have lots of interactive things to do that help us as we pray. And there are quiet spaces as well. And we would love to have you involved. You can sign up anytime uh, on any kind of uh, device that will get you onto the Internet, to our church website, hwchurch.org. You can also sign up in the back today before you leave or in the other foyer in the community room. If you're using a mobile device, a smartphone, just know that sometimes the, the, the calendar looks like all the dates or times are open on days. When you put in the time, if it comes up with red box and says you've made a mistake or that time's not available, then that's just your sign that that time is taken. I'm sorry that it's that, a little bit complicated with that. But uh, if you have any trouble signing up, just let us know and we'll help you do that. But we're looking forward to a great uh, three weeks of experiencing God through prayer and invite you to be a part of that. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to take a moment and uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. So I saw this commercial this week that started out by saying, wouldn't you love to be free? I thought, of course, that grabbed my attention because we've been talking a lot about freedom. And uh, then it went on to say, and here is the pathway to freedom. 
become a part of the Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance group. I thought, that's interesting. I guess I wouldn't have equated being a part of the Blue Cross Blue Shield HMO with freedom. But it did intrigue me that they use that as their, their hook. Because you know what? Every one of us is looking for freedom. We all want freedom. It's a, it's, it's a yearning in the human heart. We want freedom. We want to be free. You see that in nations all over the world. People are continually trying to find ways to, to be free. And that's because God created us to be free. When you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you see God has created the world, and that includes human beings, for freedom. And he loves freedom. Nothing thrills God's heart more than for us to experience the freedom that he created us to experience. And that's why when Jesus begins his ministry, the very first reference we have of Jesus preaching is Luke chapter 4. And he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. And he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news. To give recovery of sight to the blind. To set the prisoners free. To declare the year of the Lord's favor. And then he puts it down and says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's why I've come. For freedom. Jesus comes to set people free from all the ways in which we are in bondage that started way back in the Garden of Eden. That is God's dream for us. And that's what Paul's been writing about through the book of Galatians as we've been looking the last few weeks. He's talking about freedom and how God has made us to be free and how so often we won't let God set us free. When you get to verse 11, this last section, Paul writes, I am writing this with my own hand. Most of the letters of that day were dictated. And there was a person who wrote down what the author said. But almost all of them end with the author writing their own words in their own hand. Because they want people to know this letter is authentic. This is not something someone made up and used my name. This is something that is mine. You recognize my writing. You can see that it is my writing. And that means that everything I have said is true. It's my words. But it's also a time when the author will summarize what he or she has said throughout the bulk of the letter previous. And that's what Paul does. He's been talking about a variety of things throughout this letter. Many of them... Focusing on freedom. And he gets to the end and he says, let me just summarize real quickly for you what I've been talking about. And he comes back to freedom again. And he reminds them that they were created to be free, but they're allowing rules to steal their freedom. Putting them in bondage. There are Christians from the church in Jerusalem Jewish Christians who have come to the churches in Galatia and have told them, you can never be a full-fledged follower of Jesus. You will never be the kind of follower that God wants you to be unless you become a Jew first and follow all the Jewish rules, and then you can become a full-fledged Christian. And Paul has been saying throughout this letter, that is simply not true. That's bondage. And every one of us struggles with the bondage of rules, forms, structures, Now, there are a lot of the forms and structures and rules have merit to them. That's why we make them up in the first place. That's why they're there. But when our focus, when our primary interest is in following rules, it leads us to bondage. Paul says in verses 12 and 13 that these people who have come from Jerusalem, who are teaching them these things about the laws and the rules and being Jewish... He said, they don't have your best interests at heart. They're just thinking about themselves. All they want is to look good in front of other people. They just want the people to say, wow, aren't they wonderful? It really has nothing to do with you. And when you follow rules, it almost always, it naturally leads to a self-absorbed spirit. Life is about me. 
Everything is about me. I'm at the center of it. And we judge our worth and value by how well we follow the rules. But we also judge the value and worth of other people by how well they follow the rules. Following rules always creates this judgmental spirit that is continually asking who's in and who's out. Who's right and who's wrong? Who's better, who's best? And while there is value in judging and looking at at things, that kind of mindset puts people in the boxes. And it leads us to, to a critical spirit that what we're mainly concerned about are those people following the rules. And how can I make them follow the rules? It becomes about forms and structures. And when that's our mindset, the very next thing that always happens is that we limit God. I mean, it's really what we're doing. We're limiting God. We're saying God can only work in one way. That's the way that I have experienced him. Our relationship with God is judge, we judge other people based on whether they have similar relationship, similar experiences that we do. Have they gone through the things that we've gone through? Have they, do they fit the forms? Do they, do they fit the rituals? Have they, have they followed the structures? And what ends up happening is that we're more interested in whether people follow the structures than we are if they're following Jesus. And we judge people based on whether they're following the forms and the rituals and the laws more than they're following Jesus. And we limit God. What we're really doing is we're putting bondage, putting God in, in a box, in bondage. And we're saying God can only work in the way that I think he should work. And people who don't experience God the way I do are wrong. Not just different, but wrong. You pick up any Christian publication, and at some point you will find people saying, they don't do it the way we do, so they're wrong. Pick anyone you want. You'll find it. And we're limiting God. We're saying God can only work in these ways. I thought this, I debated this morning, coming to church in skinny jeans and a t-shirt. Now, nobody wants to see that. This is why I didn't do it, but... But I did, I did debate that. I debated about it just as an example to say, if, if that's bothering you, if you're thinking, why is he dressed like that? Then, you know, it may be a, something to remember that God can use people who dress differently. Now, you may be thinking, it bothers me that you're wearing a shirt and tie. So then the whole other issue we work on. But I read an article or saw an article a few weeks ago that said that... Uh, that young, the younger generation is really not interested in hip pastors. So I was pleased by that because no one has ever said I'm a hip pastor. So I thought, oh, we'll just skip the jeans. I won't worry about that. But, you know, there is something in us that says, but they don't look the way they're supposed to look. They don't dress the way they're supposed to dress. They don't, they don't follow the, the rules. And, and what we're saying is, not just, we're not just judging them, but quite frankly, we're judging God. Because we're saying God can't work through someone who dresses like that or who looks like that or who, whose journey is like that. And nothing could be further from the truth. God works through all kinds of people wearing all kinds of clothes who've had all kinds of experiences. And it's all good because God is doing it. But when we focus on rules, we're continually squeezing God. That's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, be careful not to stifle the Holy Spirit. Because what you're saying is the Holy Spirit has to play by my rules instead of me playing by his. And that leads us to nowhere but danger. You see, the whole point of the heart of our relationship with God is not obedience. As important as obedience is, it's not obedience, it's faith. Now, Scripture says a lot about obedience. 
But it's always in the context of faith. When you, when you live your life with faith in Christ, it leads to obedience. But obedience doesn't necessarily lead to faith. Quite frankly, anybody can follow rules. Anybody can check off a list of, I did this, I did this, I did this. Anyone can do that. God's looking for someone who wants it. God's looking for someone who wants their, whose heart is turned to him, not someone who can check off a list. I mean, that's what Jesus described, discusses with the Pharisees. You know, they're awesome at checking off lists. They're awesome at following the rules. They do it all. They've got it all nailed down. They are perfect about it. And yet Jesus continually condemns them. Why? Because they don't have faith. And they think it's about obedience to rules. And Jesus keeps saying to them, no, it's about faith and trust. It's what, and, and his premise for that, and Paul's premise for that, he's been talking to his whole letter about Abraham, and he goes back to Genesis 15, where, where God and Abraham have this encounter. And God says, and Genesis tells us, that it was counted to him as righteousness, not because of what he did, but because of his faith. It's about faith. Abraham lived hundreds of years before there was any law. It's about faith. And it's, it's in the act of faith, taking our eyes off of the rules and on putting them onto Jesus, that we sense the burden and the bondage release, being released from us. One of the images that we're using in the prayer room, we've tapped into a number of them, but one of them, as we think about praying freely, is... Uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And, and in that, that story, uh, Pilgrim carries this heavy weight, this burden on his back through most of the journey until he gets close to the end. And one of the things that we've set up in the prayer room is a, is a bag, a knapsack-like thing that you can put on your shoulders and you can fill it with rocks, bags of rocks down there. And one of the things that I'm thinking about, as I'm thinking about one of the times I go, I'm going to put that thing on, fill it with rocks at the very beginning, and just wear it that way for, the, for 50 to 55 minutes. And then by the time you carry that thing around for that long and you take it off, wow, do you feel light. It's freedom. And that's what God desires for us. To let go. Freedom. But here's the problem that Paul realizes that we tend to think that when God releases us from freedom and he's setting us free, we can do anything we want to. Our life is in our hands. That this freedom that God gives us from the rules means there are no rules. There's absolutely no, no call in our lives. There's nothing that we need to do. And Paul says, no, that's not the answer either. Because what ends up happening when your focus is on freedom, when our focus is on, oh, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, we tend to become immature children who avoid responsibility. Now, you look at chapter 4, and Paul says that we are children of God. In fact, we are so close to God, we have such intimacy with God that we can call him Abba Father. He is our Father, and we have an intimate relationship with him. And often, that word Abba is translated to mean Daddy. But scholars say maybe that's not the best translation, because that tends to be something that little children call a parent. And while that starts out that way, and you have that kind of childish relationship with your parent that's important when they're young, that's not God's intent for us to stay that way. His goal for us is to grow, to become mature, to come to the place where, where we don't have, you know, we're not, uh, we're not saying sort of gibberish to God, but we're having intimate relationship and conversations, and we have an intimate kind of adult, adult relationship with God. You think about a little child. You can only say so, many, so much to a little child. They can only understand so much. But as they get older, then you have different kinds of conversations with them. And when, when you think about your own life, when you were little, your parents spared you from a lot of things. They didn't tell you everything that might be going on in the home or even the world. But as you got older, you were exposed to that, and they wanted to help you learn from that. And, and good parents engage children as they get older into more serious, 
intimate conversations. And so the ultimate goal is that even though you're still parents and child, you react to each other like adults. And that's what God wants for us. Because little children are immature and they, take, they have no responsibilities in life. You, know, you have a little six-month-old, you don't expect them to do anything around the house. You know, they don't pull their own weight. They, we, would, we wouldn't do that for them. But when they get to be 8, 9, 12, 15 years old, then you have some expectations for them. And they should take responsibility, at the very least, to clean their room or to pick up after themselves. And most families have chores that people do. That's what it means to be family. That's what it means to be connected. And that's what it means to mature. And that's what God has in store for us. He's not looking for us to be children who just sit back and take no responsibility for life. He wants us to be children who continue to grow and mature. And we realize that we have a call, a responsibility from God. To be adult children of God. And that call, that responsibility, is what Paul's writing about in chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. When he says, don't use your freedom selfishly. But instead, use your freedom to fulfill the one law that really matters. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The great struggle of the Christian life is that when we feel set free, God's call in our life is to release our freedom to love and to serve. And in the kingdom of God, being free doesn't mean I can do whatever I want with no responsibility. In the kingdom of God, being free means I get to use my freedom to love and serve God and to love and serve other people. That's a struggle for us because, quite frankly, it feels like we're back in bondage again. But the radical nature of the gospel is that to release our freedom to Christ is to grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with Christ. And to love and to serve, to use our freedom to, to serve God, to serve others, to love God, to love others, is the means of fulfillment for us. It's modeling Jesus. Jesus had more freedom than anyone who's ever lived. Paul, Paul tells us in, in Philippians 2 that Jesus is very nature God, and yet what does he do? He uses his freedom to love, to die. One of the central images of the prayer room this year is a painting that Willard Ortlip did. The Shea family got it out of the archives and, uh, and, and we helped kind of restore some of it. And it's, a, it's an image of Christ's hand reaching down and freeing the chains from our hand. It's an awesome image of freedom, but you'll also notice that Christ's hand has a nail print in it. And Jesus used his freedom to serve, to love. And as one author says, it doesn't seem too much of a stretch to think that people who have said they're following Jesus would understand that presumably Jesus is looking for us to be willing to take on Christ's cross-like moments in our lives. For one another. To love, to serve. It really comes back to trusting him. It comes back to believing that that God is who he says he is, that he's good and he's merciful. And our focus is on Christ, that our focus is on the cross. And that's why we remember Paul, that key verse that Paul tells, says in verse, chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. And that's what this is all about. It's about giving up our freedom to the one who loves us. And this is going to be difficult. Yes, it's a difficult call. But that's the radical nature of the gospel. And it's never a waste. 
Sometimes it feels like a waste. Sometimes it feels like we're losing when we give up our freedom. But actually, it's one of the things that sets us apart as followers of God from the rest of the people who are not. And in the course of life, when we have the freedom to say hurtful things to people, we have the freedom to become belligerent with people, we have the freedom to take advantage of people, when we have all of this freedom, the radical nature of the gospel calls us to be different from everyone else. And to be people who say, instead of using my freedom selfishly, I choose to use my freedom selflessly. This is the call of the gospel. What I think what Paul is really doing is giving us a glimpse of God's future. He's saying to us, this is what it's going to be like in God's eternal kingdom. When you get to verses 15 and 16 here in chapter 6, Paul talks about the new creation. This he talks about being new people of God. And, and what he's really saying is, when you have become new creatures of, in Christ, then you become agents of God's new creation. We get the privilege of serving and loving as agents of God's kingdom. And we become agents of healing and grace and mercy, just like people have been to us. We get to watch God use us and work in us and through us. And yes, it can be painful and we're sacrificing. But man, God is doing amazing things as we let him use us to be his agents. And in that day when God, Christ restores his kingdom and God sets everything right, we will have complete freedom. The difference is we will... We will be looking for every possible way we can to use our freedom to love and serve God and to love and serve others. And nothing will bring us more joy than doing that. And I think Paul is simply saying to us, if that's what it's going to be like then, why not get a jump start on doing it now? That's the kingdom. For as long as I can remember, I have been... Afraid of heights. I, I just, you know, my knees get weak. The hair on the back of my neck stands up. I can, I can feel my blood pressure rising. Get me up on a ladder. I mean, I, I've, I've been times where I've climbed up on a roof and I can't get back down. Because it's, I'm too afraid to, you know, when you're going up, you can't see the ground. But when you're going down, it's there, you know, it's a long ways. I don't like sitting up in the balcony. I don't like standing in the front row of the balcony. It just, it makes me weak. And maybe that's why this, I don't know, this little parable that I read recently grabbed my attention. It just struck me as something that I needed to hear. And it was something like this. Jesus said, come to the edge. And I said, no, I'm afraid. And Jesus said, come to the edge. And I said, no, I'm afraid. Jesus said, come to the edge. And so I did. And he did exactly what I was afraid of. He pushed me. And then together, we flew. The point is not follow these rules and live. And the point is not do anything you want and live. The point is trust Christ and be set free to live. Father, may it be so for us Amen.
Sing with me. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. praying together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for the gift of freedom. Give us grace to Trust our freedom to you. To be your agents of love and healing and grace in our broken, needy world. This morning, Father, we come to you with the burdens and the struggles of our lives and ask for your grace, knowing that you hear our prayers. We pray for all who are grieving and ask that you would comfort them. We pray that you would heal all who are struggling with illness and pain. We pray, Father, for uh, the ministries of our church. Thank you for this body of believers. And we pray today for the elementary Sunday school classes, for every teacher and helper, every student. We pray that the, the faith, the truth of the gospel, life with you would be implanted into these young lives that you've given to us. We pray for churches around us. Pray today for the Evangelical Methodist Church in Sio and Pastor Kemp. May their church be a beacon of light and hope in their community and beyond. Pray for our nation. We think of all the things that are dividing us right now. We pray for healing. We pray for a sense of restored justice in our nation. Pray, Father, for the election. And all of the turmoil and disagreements and struggles that are part of being a nation in which we have a voice. But in the midst of that, Father, give us grace to, to communicate with each other in the spirit of Christ. And rather than dividing us, let us keep our focus on you. Father, we pray for the wider world. We think of refugees around the world. And, and we pray, Father, particularly for the Syrian refugees and many of those who are Christians who are finding it difficult to survive and even in the camps where they are continued to be persecuted. We pray your protection and grace upon them. We pray for the nation of Thailand and mourning the death of, of their king who ruled for so long. And we pray that you would bring peace in the midst of uncertainty and perhaps confusion grabs for power, and we pray that the church will be a great uh, beacon of hope in the midst of difficulties. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers today. Be glorified as we continue in worship to love you, to serve you, to be open to you. And we pray this through our Lord Jesus. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. 
Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.